0: This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Tzfarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. Okay. Um, We've spoken last time about the different elements of our college prophet that we have to believe in, the different aspects of it, and something about proofs. So let's just, um, I guess, start, recap one or two points, and then we will try to move towards the different um, contemplations, which I'd like to call them of understanding HaKadosh Baruch Hu, or, or um, I, I don't know if the word proving, I hate to use proving, but confirming the validity of Torah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, etc. Again, one or two uh, caveats. One is to repeat what we said last time, that I don't think there is a concept of an absolute proof in anything more complex than math or simple science. um, And certainly not in things of this nature. What we're talking though about is something which we'll call evidence instead of proof. And a confirmation, and a belief, rather than uh, absolutely proven, etc. Which means that for it to be effective, you need to think a lot about it. For instance, if I prove to you 2 and 2 equals 4, and I check the equations, I check the, I add up a column of figures, that's instant. Um, As long as I'm sure I didn't make any mistakes, it's, it's there instantly, and there's no um, issue with that. When I try to convince you about um, that, let's say, communism is good or it's bad or things of that nature, then what I need to do is you need to, to think about it, to ponder it, and slowly your mind accepts or rejects it. And that's why in Yenavah a contemplation or his boneness is the right approach. Um, uh, argument on a piece of paper that you go through and quote unquote checks out, is not bringing a moon into you. Thinking about, contemplating, and the truth is it's true about all Musser actually, but specifically here, it's the thinking about it. So one point is it's going to be his bonus. Two, a lot of times we take a shortcut and we say, oh, what a complex machine it is, it must be a great uh, builder built it. But when you do it shorthand, you get a, a very, a, a semi-convincing type of um, argument. If you think about piece by piece, just like when you owe somebody a favor and tell the government, thanks a lot, really was a great favor, that's one way of looking at it. When you say, you know, you took time when you had pressure on yourself and there was a lot of money. and It was annoying because you were under, uh, under tension and I really needed it. How much what you give it and spell it out longhand makes a lot of times a difference. And that's why summing it up in three or four words is not going to give you the truth inherent in it. It's not going to have the effect it should have um, if a person thinks about it. So a lot of these points about amuna, a lot of these contemplations require contemplation, require his bonus to sit, to think, to ponder. Maybe they're not right also. Maybe you come to a different conclusion. But it's not the type of thing where you can add up on a calculator and double check it and that's the end of that. That's one thing that I feel a need to repeat. The second thing is vis-a-vis um, myself as a rough figure versus scientists. We're going to obviously come head to head on with scientific community. Um, and there are two approaches if, if, when people come and look at things vis-a-vis scientists and so on. There is a type of approach that says, eh, they know nothing, which a, is a, I think comes from a vantage point of weakness. When people don't want to confront the argument, just sweep away, ah, what do they know? They know nothing. Torah is so much more important, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, given by a Kodesh Who are they with all the arguments? The problem with that is that it's not genuine. Because when a person has any physical problem, he looks for doctors, and uh, very from people mm-hmm. go to very, very, very special doctors, and they look for the very best doctor who, if he doesn't know anything, Why is it that they rely on him to open up their hearts, to to, to fool around a few hours in their heart, sew it back together again? Um, People use computers and depend on it for uh, their businesses without saying they don't know anything. There's something disingenuous about somebody living in the modern world with tremendous admiration for what we have, and in one area saying they know nothing. That is one extreme that I think is simply dishonest. And it comes from a sense of um, not really of, it comes from a sense of weakness, sort of easiest ways to withdraw economy kind of in your shell and to say, who do are they and What do they know? The other side, and again, I'm not trying to say that one ought to v- I- I study um, their arguments and so on. But once a person is in a situation where it's confronted with it, the type of thing of, well, Torah given a right and a kashparach is right and he knows he's the source of chachma right and they know nothing right so therefore there's nothing to talk about. I, I just don't find that a very honest uh, standpoint. The flip side is that the day somebody wears a white uh, gown and he calls and he is doctor so and so then gospel truth comes from his mouth. That's a, that's a very naive understanding about science, scientific process, the the word science has taken on a much broader meaning than it's justified. I once read a very fascinating um, tidbit from Kissinger, the great diplomat, that he once was speaking to Adenauer, who was the German Chancellor after World War II, and he was making a point that he'd heard it himself from a very high-ranking general in the Pentagon. And Adenauer asked him, uh, Henry, did you hear it from him when he was wearing his uniform or when he was in civilian clothing? He said he was wearing his uniform, full uniform. He said, okay, go back to meet him when he's not wearing his uniform over dinner or something and talk to him and tell me if you still think that you're convinced by his argument. We we have a way of sweeping um, things. For instance, in Aza, they they have people who are um, murderers and terrorists and happen to be medical doctors. And when they write a newspaper article, sympathetic to the, to, to, to the um, Hamas, they'll say, well, this person, he's not at all a terrorist type of person, he's a medical doctor who's specialized in surgery, as if that would make a mensch out of him, or it would say that in politics, he has the same um, smarts, wisdom, or whatever that is in medicine. Uh, there, uh, many times you, you'll speak to a doctor who's very competent in his field. And medically, and in other areas in politics, he might be very flat and, and quite stupid. It's not a contradiction. People have areas of expertise, different areas of discipline have different re- required talents and so on. And therefore, the broad sweep of science with a big, big capital S is also misleading. But let's be a little more specific. Um, let's talk about somebody who's an expert in his field. Um, let's give an example. Somebody's on trial for murder, and they found and they found a little blood on the body of the murdered person that's not his and they, it's a tiny speck, and they give it to a scientist, and the scientist labors on it, really hard, manages to get out a piece of DNA, and matches it conclusively with the DNA of the suspect. At that point, the scientist testifies, and he will say the following, DNA of, on this body, the blood on this body contains DNA, which I have matched, uh, 100% of the DNA of this person. Um, the chances of there being another person with the same DNA is 1 in 3 billion, and that's it. At that, up that point, the scientist is really telling us science, the truth, and so on. If the scientist says, and therefore is conclusively proven that he's the murderer, he is making a tremendous leap that is not um, a, it, it is, it, he, he is going the, um, he's going to be using the, he's going um, to be using his standing as a DNA scientist to reach a conclusion that A, is not science in the same sense, it's not necessarily warranted, and he may not be the best person to give it. There's a reason why there's a judge sitting there who supposedly is somebody with the wisdom to weigh different sides. He will take into account the the, the scientist's fact as he's presented them, that DNA of X was found on this person's body. He will also hear other testimonies about a possible motive he may or may not have had, about the possible possibility that he may have hugged him with a with a bleeding finger and to say goodbye, and that's where blood's there. There are many other things to consider. Um, we have facts, we have um, the conc- conclusions, and they're not one and the same. In, sci- in real science, I would say there are actually three levels of things that we have to deal with. There are facts. Those are things that are clearly visible. Let's say, let's use that word visible. Um, our senses clearly detect it. Um, For instance, um, we can take water, and um, we can pour it out from a cup. Water is is a fluid. That is something that we see, and that is something that science reports. It acts as a um, uh, fact-gathering profession, and those are things that you know, barring mistakes or deliberate mistakes, we need to accept. So, for instance, scientists say we found bones of the following size in X amount of places, and, um, you know, unless we, unless if, it, if it's uh, common enough and broad enough, we'll accept it as a fact. These bones are sizes bigger than any animal bones that we have. Um, I, again, once that we trusted, I think that those, that falls on the facts. There's an X amount of carbon in proportion to Uranium, those are facts. Those are all, th- 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 those are all things that fall on the realm fact. And in that, it is in its best element. Uh, we'll assume also that the fact gathering has been going off a long time, extensive and, 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 and uh, done um, as adequately as possible. The second um, there's a second uh, level where now you need to to make some sort of rules, some sort of hypotheses about these facts together. Until this point, we're really talking about technicians, and now we need to start talking about some sort of theory. So for instance, in chemical theories are validated when they can be repeated. So if someone tells me take oxygen and hydrogen, introduce electricity, and I get water out of it, um, if I can do it, and it works every time, that that is also a fact. Um, so therefore, or it's not, I would say, it, I, I, I need to accept it. It's something where it is true in the present, and I can keep doing it and repeating it, so that if I if somebody says if you put water on iron for X amount of time, it's going to rust, it's something that I can repeat and repeat. And that also, those type of hypotheses fall on the fact. There are um, hypotheses about how things work, uh, formulas for the strength of the attraction of two bodies to each other. That works and works in an incredible amount of in different places. And again, that falls on the things which I would feel very comfortable take the science, the scientist's point of view. Now, there's a third area, which is, Something that you can't, you you don't see and you can't repeat. For instance, what happened 500 years ago in this in this spot? We come to a a a colony. There was uh, there was for some reason um, people never heard of again. An abandoned colony. What happened? Now, science w- will turn up facts. They will find. Let's say all sorts of bacteria. They'll find arrows with blood on them, etc., etc. And there will be some limited hypotheses that these arrows could only have come from uh, the wood in a certain place. Therefore, people bearing it might come from someplace <coughs> else, and so on. Um, but then there's a more sweeping hypothesis, which is, and therefore, um, Indians from a different place, from X place, came and destroyed this colony, and so on and so forth. That conclusion is not doesn't fall under the same heading of science as the conclusions about water rusting iron etc. Th- it's it's evidence and uh, not proof, and it is a reasonable conclusion, but not a scientific theory uh, or or, or I mean I mean a, um, a proven. Uh, a s- so to speak, a theory in the sense of a proven, repeatable type of thing. And on that point, uh, a historian might actually much better judge than a scientist. He might say, well, but in the context of what we know about different peoples in those days invading other places, they never did go very far and invade. It wasn't the type of thing they normally did. So this would be extremely rare, and maybe it makes a lot more sense that somehow they bought arrows there, and arrows got sold along the coast until it reached this place. Or something like that. So we have, now when the scientist comes along and tells us it is incontrovertible (coughs) fact that they were destroyed by the following tribe, they're mixing and blurring two areas. One is a tight discipline where science deserves a certain deferring to, and conclusions just like the expert testifying on DNA may be a lousy judge because he can't bring all the factors in, He's looking for very specific points, and once he has them in, but he doesn't look at a bigger picture about motive for the murder, possibility of the murder, other suspects, etc. Same thing here also. What happened X amount of years ago is um, is not something that science can <coughs> tell us unless they find a video. They find a video of creation and evolution, etc. Or and uh, they showed a video. If it's a true video, then that's it. That, that would fall in the category of that. But what they, what we do is we look around, we find evidence and we draw a picture from the evidence. So the evidence is something we need to accept as fact. The, the conclusions need to be thought about and we need somehow to strip away a little bit of the um, extraordinary deferring that we'll do to a scientist one is in first mode as opposed to second mode. Yes, Pimples. So Revi mentioned that there are certain uh, phenomena <coughs> which we will basically assume are facts, So, as yes. you take hydrogen and oxygen and add some electricity that right. creates water. Revi also mentioned the existence of certain carbon particles. So if scientists have a theory that carbon degenerates at a certain rate, right. then wouldn't it be within the umbrella of a fact when they date things using carbon? Okay, so, so the, the, um, is raising the issue of would carbon dating not be a fact under the same, under the same, uh, rubric that we've given. The answer is, if we will, if, um, there are certain assumptions made by it, which are not, um, they're not illogical, but they're certainly not proven. For instance, what was the volume of, um, what was the ratio of carbon Of different uh, isotopes of carbon to start with. Mm -hmm. Well, logic says, you know, logic meaning if we assume nothing else, well, why would it be different? The rate that it's integrated, would, would we say physical phenomena changed? And, and so on. I, I, I we'll deal with it a little bit more when we get to it. But Moore's introduction um, is the point, we're going to have to separate in the arguments of scientists what are the facts on the ground and what has been drawn as a conclusion from it. And that's going to be a very, very important point. Because, um, when you come with the full weight of science and use it for the things that are, when you, when you take the, excuse me, Das Science on the, um, on, on the note of Das Torah, if you take Das Science and you impose it where it doesn't belong. I mean, you, we need to, we can look at it logically without feeling coward that we're, we're combating facts over here. The, the, so, so one area is our, our, the way in which we're going to have to look at what science and scientists have to say. Um, There's another point that I think it's important to bear in mind. Um, I don't mean it to sound as a, um, a cri- criticism of other people speaking about this, but a, no matter, almost nobody in the speaking about these in and Muna is a scientist or a biologist. Even if he were, there is biology and there's paleontology and there is embryology. It, science has become huge, and somebody who presents himself as know-it-all, expert-all, and uh, you know, he, he knows better than everybody else. There's something about it that is not um, it, it's hubris a little bit, and it's not, it's not true. Uh, on the other hand, Baruchu gave us brains that we need to make decisions on. Let me give a muscle. Um, when we need to have a medical decision, um, an important medical decision that is a matter of life or death, somebody has cancer, we need to make a decision about what course of treatment. So somebody barges in and tells the doctor, I, I read up on it on the Internet, and I think we're going to do this and this. He's an idiot. Um, because in one evening's readings, you don't get somebody who's been working all his life in it, and so on and so forth. On the other hand, the doctor's not God. Doctors are human. They make mistakes. And they sometimes um, can, can overlook things, cannot make a correct evaluation in terms of what's right and so on. It's tough. You need to sit down and you talk to two or three doctors, and you sit back and think and say maybe because this person is a radiologist, he's pushing radiology so much because that's really his, his, his his, uh, expertise, but he's not taking Mm -hmm. surgery into account. And maybe this, the surgeon is not taking into account um, my father's um, uh, emotional well-being and he couldn't take surgery, he just kind of, he would depress out, and that would be the end of it. It's it's an important balance between understanding that at the end of the day we're responsible for ourselves. At the end of the day, um, doctors are not and scientists are not supermen. On the other hand, to the correct amount of modesty, knowing where you belong, where you don't belong. Um, I read, and by no means in any way can I say that I, I've done it in a very professional way. Um, I can only take and try to distill as an intelligent reader and present points that I think are very worthy of consideration. Um I I um take into account that I don't know an awful lot. On the other hand, I will not be cowered by somebody who's doctor so and so if I don't really think that his argument at the bottom line is um it murders, um, I, um, with somebody, if I'm talking about somebody developing how the world's developed and how life is developed, and he, and at some point he tells me, oh, this is very, very complex, and the non-science won't understand it, I, I will uh, not buy it. I need to have a general sketch of it, and, uh, will consider it. Now, those, so two general, so those are two general introductions about approaching these topics, because these topics inevitably, are going to be part of a clash between uh, scientists and science as today it is known. And we need to bear in mind the correct attitude. Um, it, is, it, it, is, it is sheer hubris for someone, as intelligent as it might be who read a few books, to pose as an expert. You wouldn't want somebody who read a few Svarim to pose as an expert, as a Tom You don't have that. On the other hand, um, you're making a decision about emuna. You're making decisions decision about what's right and wrong. And if, and if you have a growing sense that they're not doing it, then you by all rights have to say, you have, uh, you've got to convince me because I'm not going to take trust us. we know what's right. Uh, if we don't have Amunah's Chachamim, I think we certainly can be a little bit cynical about Amuna's uh, scientists. Um, we can deal with facts, but, uh, but the Amunah scientists, I think we can kind of dampen down a bit. The, f- uh, so l- l- those are two introductions. Let's go back to the point we're trying to. What are the types of contemplations that will bring a person to confirm and reaffirm and make a Munah in our very strong? The first argument we spoke about was Yesh Me'ayin. And this is something which um, science cannot deal with in any way. Um, there's a famous theorem, Gödel's theorem, about no system can prove itself from inside. Um, And it's the elementary point of, um, the elementary point of logical thought is everything has a cause. And that would make the world's existence impossibility. Uh, Where did the world come from? And um, Aristotle, Raman brings belief in cosmos, which meant the world is eternal. That's, that is something, which whether it's right or wrong, but it is an unscientific, a logical statement. We have to admit, logic does not in its furthest reach ever explain existence. I want to add something. When we speak about existence, we kind of think of a little murky, you know, soup. A little hydrogen atom, a a little nebby hydrogen atom that became something really big that grew up to become the world. I want to say something. Every single piece of matter in the world has a whole book of rules that it works by. All of physics is the rules built into basic matter, whether it's electromagnetic interaction, whether it's different forces in the atom, how they work and everything. The rules, they, they work by real rules. It's not like we imagine kind of, the first matter being a, a little nothingness, a little a little mud, which is not really very important. That's kind of, so, so we can kind and say, well, maybe that existed. I, you know, somehow we fantasize it. It, it. The laws of physics are immutable. No one has ever broken those laws and got away with it. Zilch. I mean, sometimes we find out that something's a special case of a larger um, rule, but no rules are broken. Everything comes very clearly defined we have not only things in the world, but we Mm -hmm. have an impeccably sharp system of um, how things are defined. Uh, Their ability to move, their ability to be it, their ability to repulse, the energy. All of these things are the stuff of physics. big books full of rules that are observations of the rules written into nature. And where those rules came from, who enforces them, and um, how did something like that come into place and when you struggle to and say, well, it's just been that way, um, I think it's shirking the question. It's, it's, mean, it's, it's, it's the same way the secular person accused the religious person of not consulting difficult questions, we turn around and say to them, you yourself must admit that human mind, the world is bigger than human mind and you are mindful it." That's the first his bonus and his bonus of ratios. Um, and again, these things are not just one or two three arguments. Think about it. Walk and think about it. And um, there, there is not even a theory to explain that because there can't be a theory to explain that. I mean, the theory only keeps taking back another step, another step. And like we said last time, Akhavas Perucho is not a way out simply. Akhavas Perucho says the emis of the world exists outside of the world, beyond the world, in a way that is past human imagination. That is the first is bonus, and a very, very important is bonus. The second one is, um, the, com- is life itself. And this is obviously the area where we're going to come head-to-head, uh, against the uh, scientists, so to speak, or head-to-head confront science. Let's, um, first ask ourselves, why won't a scientist believe in God, etc. And again, I'm talking about not the scientist as a human being, but science as such. There there are two answers, there are two reasons, and one reason was, especially Christianity, had given a worldview that included explanations of science incorporated into... um, religion, or the other way around. The, 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 the Catholic Church had its theories about the world and the nature of the world in a way that needed, that, that incorporated the religion into it. And the scientific beliefs of the world were considered part of the Church's firm beliefs. And any, um, any kvira in the way the church saw the world um, was kvira in the religion. So what happened was, as people discovered that they were absolutely wrong about things in the world, about the nature of nature was not the way they, they, they saw it, they dumped everything with it. Um, or let's put it in more specific terms, when they began to question creation the way it's written in the Torah, so then that whole thing became a, a seen as quote-unquote myth, and fiction, and to be disregarded. So the first reason why science will not consider God has a historical background. Because science really, conf- science was on a confrontational track with religion, vis-a-vis religious view of uh, the way nature works and so on, everything became dumped with it. The second reason, which is an, 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 an honest reason, is science can only deal with things that science can deal with. And um, for instance, a, 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 fork can be used to eat meat and fish and potatoes. It's very hard to eat soup with a fork. And it's a tool, and it's a tool that works well with certain things. Science can only work with things that are observable, quantifiable repeatable. Those are some of the things that science needs to work with, and refutable. So, um, if I tell you I see two atoms and you say you see three atoms, that's a scientific issue because we can see it, we can test for it, we can see the actions. Mm-hmm. We can build theories that are, um, that fit within the realm of logic. That the, the attraction between this and this is given by this formula. Um, it, and, and it can be broken this way, and so on and so forth. Th- those are scientific topics. God, if I tell you, let's 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 forget a minute. Let's take angels. If I tell you angels can never be observed by any physical senses, and we can't put any rules on their behavior, then science is no longer a tool that can deal with it. Science—it's not that science believes or disbelieves in angels. If you describe angels that way then science is simply not going to be able to um, deal with it. It's not a tool for it. It's a fork for a soup. And it's just not going to work. However, uh, so, so, so a science, honest science says, listen, we can't speak about God as creator. That's not a scientific type of um, matter. Even without God, But the minute I say the answer lies outside the system of logic and materia as we know it, then science says that no longer is the discipline of science. Just like um, a psychiatrist will need to look at a patient and ask himself, is this problem chemical? And then the MD of myself is the one that's going to deal with it, and I will give him uh, medicine X to take care of, of whatever it is? Or are his problems in the mind and not in the brain? And then the psychologist of me is going to deal with it. Those are, um, it, it, so science has a natural um, limitation. Science can deal only with observable, quantifiable, logical, um, repeatable phenomena. So an honest scientist will say the reason why I can't consider God within the realm of science. God is not a scientific in the sense that it can be quantifiable. Um, However, so, so basically if we were to be very honest, we would start a book on evolution with the following words. If one were to take the possibility of God or the divine out of the picture, What would be the way we could uh, explain the world? And then we would have to do X, Y, or Z. Um, Let's give an example. Let's give an analogy. Let's say somebody is, a a detective is told to work on a case, a murder case. And he's told uh, you are to solve the murder case. One, one caveat. Jack cannot be the suspect. Now, um, sometimes the reason for that is because Jack is in jail and he's chained down and there's no way he could have done it. So even though he's a very wonderful suspect, he had a reason to kill him and he's a murderer, well, we have to make him out. That's fine. Let's say Jack is believed to be, by me, believed to be a, such an honest person that he's on suspicion. Just like if a person finds himself accused unjustly, and they have evidence against him, no matter how strong the evidence is, he knows he didn't do it. So he's going to take himself out of the picture. And sometimes it's because Jack is a very close friend of the guy giving him the assignment, and he he, he doesn't want Jack accused. He tells him the only one that can be accused is Jack, um, which, which then might wreak havoc with the investigation. Evolution is the scientific study of the world if we take out anything out of nature. The word supernatural is not mystical. It means anything beyond the pale of nature if we take that out. So, whoa, that means that you're already limiting yourself to all suspects except for Jack. You're not even looking for the truth with a capital T. You're saying, solve it this. It's like sometimes you get... A puzzle, and you say, using only this or that, solve for it. And um, it, it's not the best solution always. It's not, sometimes not even a viable solution, but that's what we have. And it's very important to bear that in mind, that science is, it's a priori limited. And um, I will be reading to you soon, on, probably next time, you know, where y- you, you get a scientist comes up with the following type of argument. He'll say, this becomes so tempting to give in and just say that it must be God. Um, and and, he's, and he asks yourself. well, I don't stand, as an honest scientist, why to say it's so stagnantly impossible that, um, th- that uh, God is the conclusion. And no, he, he writes with pride about how the Itzahara of amunah uh, tempted him, and thank God, or I don't know, <laughs> thank nature. He stuck his guns. I mean, that's the um, it, th- th- it And it's an attitude that what happened is when it, it, from becoming how from becoming uh, th- th- that of what would do how can we understand the argument without God? It, it also ran as an argument, and this is a this is a point that we need to to a distinction uh, so we need to make. When we will be talking about evolution, etc., there are two aspects to the argument of it. One is that to understand the world, we need not to recourse to anything beyond nature. Um, that's one argument of evolution. And that argument of evolution is, 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 is one needs to do it one way. The second argument of evolution is that it raises problems with the way the Torah seems to describe creation of the world. And in a certain sense, that's a much stronger issue. Um, it, it's, it's an issue which we need to answer. On the first one, on the issue of evolution as a substitute, when people came and said, you must believe in God because of X, Y, and Z. When you say you must believe, so as long as I have one in a trillion way of explaining... Not like that. It's not a proof. If I can prove everything f- is if, if, if true in every case except for one case, it's not a proof. And um, so when people made the argument, it must be that God. So um, when when you need to have absolute impossibility, you find very quickly that there is no such thing as absolute impossibility. But one when you ask yourself, really does it, why, why are you going on on a limb on something so far-fetched person is, you know, if you honestly, honestly think that you must find something so far-fetched, why is it that you don't want to reach the much more obvious conclusion? Then it becomes a much more powerful uh, point. The other issue, and that we'll have to deal with as we go along, is it does pose, um, there there are facts that pose problems with, the way we read certain parts of the Torah. And then it becomes a question on our full view, not on our Kurdish Bible, but on Torah. Yes, Kenneth? So, just back to the earlier point yes. that you made. <clears throat> Basically, is what we are really saying that you know, when science comes and tries to solve, you know, tries to understand the world as they see it, there's really no difference there's no sphere of, the moon. just that scientists are not going to call it God, they're just going to call it, you know, force of gravity, you know, electromagnetic force, whereas we could say, yeah, that's God. Well, it, it's, the question is deeper, the, um, he's asked, Epinicus is asking if we cannot, um, always terminology. Can we talk about the terminology. The big difference is as follows, um, the force of gravity is totally quantifiable. It, the idea that gravity could come from no place, that gravity is beyond understanding, doesn't exist, that the root of things are beyond understanding, that's one area, and it will lead to a second point about whether there is, what we, what we called in, in one of our last shurim, will or not. In other words, um, the Kusari makes this point about Aristotle's God, that it's a dry scientific construct, not different than any other um, law in physics. Uh, The law of gravity does not want me to come closer to the ground. It does not, um, there there is no will or tachlis or ruts and anything like that. It's just the mechanics. So we're going two steps ahead. We're going, A, we're establishing a realm of the beyond nature. And that realm includes a component of will, tachlis, and we'll see later more important moral dimension, which which I guess would be would would be aligned with that. <coughs> so um, we're going to need to deal with the first thing is looking at the evolutionary issue vis-à-vis um In other words, um, trying to ask ourselves, looking at the theory of evolution and its limitations. How, uh, how does it stand up in terms of reasonableness, vis-a-vis our understanding of HaKadosh Baruch Hu? How improbable is it? Once again, I am, I am not going to be an expert. I have points, I've uh, read about it, and I want to make points I think every intelligent man can consider. If some of those points, um, I, I, I do believe that in the scope, these points would hold water, no matter how you explain it. If not, then we'll have to redo it. I think the one thing we need to bear in mind with the are, um, this is not finality. Um, it's not as if I could say, I got this a lot Sinai. These are, these are points of thinking. And when somebody comes along and points out weaknesses, you rethink it you, and, and so on. You don't throw away a theory that's built on a lot of elements with a lot of thought with one question. Um, I have a cousin who's a physicist. And he, um, was once explaining to myself, my brother, about certain current theories and then pointing out the weaknesses. And my brother asked him, so, why, why discarded discard the theory? And he said, something that's worked a few thousand times in different situations. Um, you don't throw away on one question or two questions. You say, look at yourself, maybe there's something wrong about how you, have f- how the question Uh, how it came to be a question on the theory. Maybe it's a special case. Uh, We're talking about big things. We're talking about sweeping understandings, and um, we're just going to try to give ourselves a framework for thinking into it and understanding in the big picture where the real inherent issues are with evolution and its um, limitations. But we're going to be talking about it not in terms of the problem with the Torah's chronology versus evolutionary chronology, but rather in terms of uh, a solution to life as coming on on its own without any outside cause. And the uh, Shem, I will try to use some original material, some uh, source material, and talk about it. Yes? Perhaps we really could sum up by mentioning the contemplations that he earlier in this year? Okay, so um, going back again, the contemplations that we're going to be looking at are A, the, the first thing would be the idea of where things come from, period, where existence originates. A second point is going to be the complexity of the world and life especially, in a way that it's not reducible in, in a way that it would seem almost improbable beyond anything possible. And again, I'm using, not using the word impossible, but improbable beyond anything any reasonable person would consider. We're going to look at the moral dimension of a human. And we're going to look at history and possible personal contemplations. Those are going to be the four or five types of contemplations that will base a person's amuna. And um, each one has its own reinforcing I- I mechanism. Each one contributes something to our belief and understanding. Just like we'll use the uh, the, um, the example of a marriage bond. A marriage bond is built on the goodness you associate with the other person, the loyalty, the intelligence, um, the, the attraction, many many things. a a good bond reinforces itself in many different ways. Good and Muna reinforce itself in many different angles. And we, I think these four or five contemplations are the major ones. And we will go in order. Okay.